Olivia here. I want to tell you about a new podcast from Axios called One Big Thing. It's hosted by Nyla Budu and features interviews with leaders you know or need to know in business, politics, and culture. Each week, you'll hear one big conversation on the trends shaping our world from people like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, technology reporter Ina Freed, and chef and humanitarian Jose Andres. So go ahead, listen to One Big Thing on your favorite podcast app. New episodes drop every Thursday. Unexplainable is a science show about everything we don't know. Like, we don't know how bikes work. Get out. Come on. We don't know where the moon came from. Holy cow. You've touched the moon. This is incredible. We don't even know what life is. No one has been able to define life, and some people will tell you it's not possible to. Unexplainable takes you right up to the edge of what we know and keeps going. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Hannah. And this is Bio Eats World, where we talk about how biology is breaking out of the lab and clinic and into our daily lives, really on the verge of revolutionizing our world in ways we're only just beginning to imagine. Biology is technology. So what have we got on deck today? So today we're talking about the way employers have to handle and respond to the coronavirus pandemic. So it's a conversation with people who are building solutions on supporting employers and employees with how you figure out not just how to monitor employee health, but establish ways of preventing transmission, of triaging what happens when there is a documented case, of contact tracing when necessary, of temperature checks. Do they even make sense? Do they work financially? Of figuring out when it's safe to come back and how, and basically how to manage that entire process. Wow, that sounds like a unprecedented way for employees and employers to interact. Yeah, totally. This is a brand new thing. It's not normal to talk to your employer, really, about the details of your health, your temperature, who you've been exposed to, right? We need to think about not just the complicated business logic behind all these decision trees of what do you do, but also involves a lot of really big issues around employee privacy and trust and the fundamental relationship between employer-employee as this becomes basically a new feature of our post-COVID world. So this episode, we have have Vanita Argawala, who's a physician and general partner at A16Z, talking about all this with Mark Sendak from the Duke Pandemic Response Network, Ryan Sandler of TrueWork, a platform for employers securing sensitive data for employees, and Fang Nguyen from Accolade, a health benefits management platform. It feels weird to talk to your employer about your own health. Most employees don't talk to their employer about their health. And suddenly coronavirus hits and the biggest risk that you take in the morning is going to work, right? And every HR officer and people officer and organization is now struck with the need to manage their workforce through this pandemic. It shines a terrifying spotlight on small business owners, employers who've never had to deal with health data. I've heard from a number of employers, they now have a chief COVID officer. Well, who's that? There's nobody who has been preparing all their life to be a chief COVID officer. You can imagine that if someone gets sick at work and the employer didn't have policy in place, wasn't enforcing PPE, social distancing, didn't have tooling to collect this information from employees, then it can be argued that they weren't protecting the safety of their employees. You have to ask your employees a set of questions when they come back to the office. That can be every week, every day. It's up to the employer that the CDC recommends every day. 
and those questions are, have you experienced symptoms? Have you been in contact with anyone that's recently been affected? Can you take your temperature and plug that reading in? And they have to put these processes in place so that the employer took the best effort to protect the safety of their employees. And so very, very vital. And many employers don't have the resources to build it themselves. And they're very lost in trying to figure out how to bring employees back safely. A lot of us have heard the phrase, test, trace, isolate. And just zooming out for a second and thinking about what are all the needs that an employer has, I like to think about it as prevent, triage, trust, test, trace, isolate. Because really the majority of employees are not going to be testing positive and are not going to trigger positive tracing alerts. What do we do in our workplace to prevent the pandemic from having an impact on us? And what do we do to triage employees to a test? Does that framework resonate with you all? And is that a reasonable way to think about where we need tech innovation? I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we see with employers trying to put together point solutions that attack individual components of what you're saying. But what employers need is this really end-to-end solution. How are you communicating and educating your employees on the best practices guidance that literally changes every day or every week. Once you have technology that supports check-ins or other things that allow people to monitor symptoms, you know, if something shows positive, how do you triage them effectively in a uniform way and manage them through that process? Who's impacted? Who's going through the condition management? Who's ready to go back to work? All that data is critical to support that end-to-end process. So let's start with prevent. To my mind, I think about workspace density, layout, policies and procedures, guidance to employees, kind of a general awareness, almost a policy stack. Is there technology there on that piece of this framework? Yeah, I think technology can help guide, but there are definitely physical policy changes that are needed. The number of employees you have in the office or on each floor at once the distance between them, changes to break rooms. And then you have education that you're giving employees on how they can best prevent getting it. Are they abiding by social distancing and giving them advice on what they should be doing, if they should be getting tested, all these things in the months or weeks prior to them coming back to the office. And then it starts to blur, I think, with triage when you're asking employees some of those questions, right? Maybe looking back, have you been taking social distancing seriously? Now the employer needs to know if you have been taking those so that it doesn't impact the safety of other employees. Let's talk about triage. Many of us are already participating in various employer symptom surveys. Please fill out these 20 questions before you show up at work in the morning. We've heard about temperature checks at the door. We've heard about wearables, monitoring for symptoms, whether it's a ring or a smart thermometer. There's so much effort pouring into triage, how do you actually implement it? If you're standing in the shoes of an employer today. Yeah, the technical problem is pretty complex. You basically need to collect through surveys of hundreds or thousands of employees, daily or weekly, symptoms and other questions. And then you need to store that data somewhere that has strict permissioning that only certain people within the organization can access. And then you also need business logic on top of those questions that says, based on the answers to questions, can they come back to work? And it's very complex business logic that employers really want to customize. A coffee shop may want to ask temperature 
and have that as an important input to whether someone can return to work, but a consulting firm might not. There are some companies doing this literally in binders, some companies using Google Sheets. We built the way, and I know others have also built the platform in a really flexible way that employers can customize all those different inputs based on their location and based on their industry, and then coming up with this binary, can come back to work or not, based on those inputs. What do you guys think about temperature checks or self-reported temperature? It's been a topic of of so much debate. It's not easy to implement for, let's say, a 100,000 employee organization. What are you guys hearing? What is the research telling us about this? So temperature checks, what they're addressing is the contagious disease in the workplace. Obviously, there's going to be folks who are asymptomatic. There's going to be folks who are are symptomatic, may have a fever, but are still able to contribute to the productivity of the firm. So temperature checks, they'll help you decide maybe who doesn't need to be in the office or in the physical workspace, but they're not perfect. You're saying it's possibly one way to determine fitness to return back to an in-person setting. A temperature would certainly be concerning and be a red flag in the context of triage. But is it enough? What people don't understand is how costly a program like that could be for an employer. We were helping an employer with over 50 locations evaluate how long it would take to run temperature checks for you know the next seven months. And it was well into the millions of dollars. You have to have an efficient and sustainable strategy. And so temperature checks could be an important part of that strategy but it's definitely not the whole complete thing. And so how do you balance and incorporate temperature checks in a practical way, but also include the other check-in questions? But not to discount temperature checks completely, and they are a signal. It may potentially is a compromise and not have a limitless budget here, is employee self-reporting. And, you know, of course, there's some risk of employees lying, but it's a similar risk to them lying about their symptoms or their recent contact. And, you know, again, if, if you're emphasizing the employee, you know, please do not lie. This impacts the safety of your, the rest of your employees. Some employers are just trusting their employees to enter that information every day. You can imagine large coffee chains. Many businesses in Colorado, I believe their state guidance there are doing it as well. And so, you know, we definitely don't discount it, but we know there's other inputs that are more important. I think what we've seen too, unfortunately, is a lot of what we call unfunded mandates. So in the state of North Carolina, our state, HHS office put out a requirement that long-term care facilities have to do asymptomatic testing weekly. And it was something like $500 million for the state every year. And that's a new cost that's just being imposed on these employers with no reimbursement, no funding mechanism. And there's a lot of questions of what is the right approach? And do we just have to do these things versus testing them and evaluating them. There needs to be more work done evaluating these strategies because they are so costly for employers. And to me, the rubber meets the road when one of those business rules trigger a flag, right? Someone says, well, actually, I have been coughing or yesterday my child was sick. To me, that's the hardest part for the employer. Many employers have set up policies and surveys, but when a flag is triggered, is it enough to tell the employee, go see your doctor? So we stood up a program in early April 
that does symptom support and triage for seeking medical attention to identify folks who would deteriorate and try to get them into hospitals earlier. And we send out about 4,000 text messages daily to people across the country to do symptom surveys. And it's less than 2% that we need to call every day because we think that they do meet a threshold for going to a hospital. I think that the question of do I need to seek medical attention or not because of severe symptoms in some ways is an easier starting point than am I fit to work? And there's the concept of maybe being fit to work from home versus being fit to work in a socially integrated setting with other employees. And those are hard questions that employers, I think, will have to face in terms of, do you assign sick time if someone may be able to work remotely but may not be able to socially integrate versus are there tasks that we can reassign people to? It's not just binary. I guess is part of what I'm saying. There's these other states that people can be in where their ability to come into the office may be limited, but they can still contribute to the company's productivity. The biggest challenge that people don't really appreciate the challenges of getting human adoption. Getting people to adopt an app or technology for healthcare is really, really hard. You think about in this case of triage, you're asking every single one of your employees to check in every day. This is a behavior that people don't have. They don't do every day. And it's really hard to change that behavior. And so first of all, it has to be simple. It has to be personal. And then it has to be value-add. Right. I mean, the simple is give employees a way that they can check in in any way that's convenient to them. Do you have a portal? Do you have a phone that they could call in? Make it personal to them and then make it value add. So if I'm answering a question in a certain way or it pops up positive as an example, do I have quick and easy access to someone who can support me into that process? Is there a human personal element to this or is it only a technology only solution? So I think overcoming the challenges of adoption and human behavior, I think it's critical to this. Secondly, how do you create a consistent user experience and workflow for people so that every single member or every single employee isn't going to a different place, having their own process? You convince all your employees to do this daily check-in and then say, oh, by the way, you should go see a doctor and then leave it up to the employee to figure out, well, what doctor is available to me? Who has an appointment available? What is the nearest doctor I can go? To. And so for us, having a partner there that could provide employees easy support, easy access in a consistent way and to get tested in a consistent way, I think was a really important element to this workflow. The unfortunate thing that we're seeing in COVID is the outbreaks are strongest in pockets of older adults as well as low-income labor. And both groups, which do not historically have the best technology access, yes, we could make the decision of, you know what, it's too complicated for these folks. Maybe we'll just leave them out. But what we're starting to build out is actually a role that we're calling an accessibility specialist, because we have to be very proactive in this context about closing the technology divide. Maybe it is a technology solution that we just need better user interfaces or more intuitive designs. But until we have that, there needs to be humans calling these people or visiting them to make sure that they can use these tools effectively. Technology is transformational, but healthcare is episodic. It's complex. People inevitably end up at dead ends. 
And so they need quick and easy access in that case to a human that they could ask a question of or help them through the challenge that they have or the barrier that they have. And so that idea of integrating human and technology is really critical to solving this COVID problem for employees. What I'm hearing is on the prevention side, we need a standardized policy stack, right? There's a lot of information. It's confusing. It's hard to assimilate. What are a good set of standardized granular employee policies? Tools that help roll out employee surveys, roll out this collection of symptom data in a safe, trusted, and private way. And then we need services and technology to actually do human triage. We need to help people connect with healthcare providers. We need to help them decide whether or not they're having symptoms that are worrisome and that need more attention. And then, of course, now let's move into one of the key sort of forward steps in triage, which is who should get tested. I could see that maybe the best solution for an employer is to tell their employees to get regular testing of every single employee. And I think you guys are seeing employers do that as well. What's that looking like, given the landscape of, of many diagnostic testing vendors out there? Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest unknowns, which I think provides the most confusion. And there's been little consensus and guidance on what employers should do. It changes every week, is the honest answer. I mean, we saw maybe a month ago, a lot of the large banks wanted to test every single employee every single week. And when you do the math, it is absurd how expensive it gets, as you can imagine. And so I think people are struggling to understand what is a reasonable policy here. I think we've seen on the compromise side, people are saying, you know, we're only going to test employees that express symptoms. We're only going to test employees that have recent contact or haven't been taking social distancing seriously. But how do we get targeted and strategic about who we test so that it's not every single employee every week, which is hundreds of millions of dollars for some of the Fortune 500? Do you think cost is the only barrier? Let's say the test was five cents. I sort of worry about the operational complexity as well of a daily or weekly testing system. And I wonder if due to a combination of cost and operational sustainability, we end up on something that's a little less frequent. And it's also the lack of the clear business logic of if someone's antibody positive, like are they still shedding disease if someone has tested negative? We've seen variations in how many negative tests do you need to see before someone comes back. Where I struggle and where our team has spent a lot of time is around data quality. So of course, there's that phrase that we all know, garbage in, garbage out. But if I see a negative COVID test, does that mean that someone doesn't have COVID? If I see somebody that doesn't have a COVID test, does that mean that they don't have COVID? And I don't feel certain about any of those questions. So I at least see for the current moment, too, the need to develop supportive technologies that enable the decentralization of where we have these pockets of expertise. No, fair point. We don't know, right? The yeah, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know yet what the right testing strategy is. And we haven't even talked about antibody testing, which could potentially impact employers as well and be layered into those business rules. One of the most exciting just roadmaps I'm excited about is the in-home testing. What employers love about it is that the employee doesn't have to leave their house. They don't have to go take extra risk of getting infected. I think that helps solve some of the complexity and accessibility issues. And this comes back to how we're in this new world where I am talking to my employer about my health and I am going to potentially participate in a survey as my employer helps triage my symptoms. And to some, that may seem like an uncomfortable shift 
in the relationship where an employee is suddenly being asked to provide all this information for the greater good of the workplace. How are employers navigating this shift in relationship? And that's really the triage part is, I think, the most complicated one because they are, for the first time, as you mentioned, asking these questions and getting very granular health data from employees. And so, I mean, what it all comes down to is privacy. I mean, I think that's most employees' concern here, mm-hmm. if it's a very real concern. If employers know certain information about me, will they discriminate against me for certain roles, for certain jobs? And so privacy is most important, and specifically the employee knowing that only one or select people in the company can ever have access to that data. No one in IT, no one in other departments, not my manager. All my manager should be able to know is, can I come back to work or not? But if only HR is getting my granular health information, maybe I'll be okay with that. When I just purely have explicit consent that only HR can have it, we've seen them start to get more comfortable around that concept. We also have to make sure the way that we're messaging this is around safety. Because if folks ever feel like we're trying to ask them to do things that don't have a tangible safety benefit, I think that that's where we may see increased tension in that role of employer-employee because there is this not just information asymmetry, but also power dynamic. So many of our big outbreaks right now are actually with very low-income labor. So how do we engage employers and employees in a way that is aligned around safety? Because I think what's relatively unique about this moment is how closely tied safety is to productivity and economic benefit for both employees and employers. So there is an opportunity to bring people around the table in a new way that hopefully we can increase the amount of investment in safety for employee health. Vinita, you bring up such an interesting dilemma that employers have had. Pre-COVID, if I'm an employee, I'm struggling with behavioral health issues. I don't trust to talk to those issues with my employer. So even prior to COVID, employers were dealing with this. Now that COVID is here, it puts more pressure than ever on employers to figure this out. And so one of the areas that we see that's super important is building an employee trust. And we see some employers turning to kind of third-party partners who are trying to support the employees, add value to the employees, where the employees feel comfortable that these third parties or organizations have their own best interest in mind. And what's interesting is now we're starting other sets of relationships without intermediaries, because I do think that the speed in which things need to be stood up, we need to remove as many frictions as we can and just be providing services directly to the entities in need, which newly are employers and also educational institutions and different types of research groups. Every employer now needs to get into the business of infection prevention. We were talking about an infection prevention bundle for COVID. And that language is very common in healthcare settings where we think about bundles to prevent sepsis or central line infections. But now we need bundles that every employer is enacting in their own setting. And another concept that may be new to employers is harm reduction. There's a certain amount of harm we can avoid. And if you have the privilege of being able to have all your employees work remotely, do that certainly. But if not, we need to be learning about harm reduction and how do we manage risk in a way that we haven't before. All of these endpoints will sort of also be 
ROI measures for the tech stack that we're talking about. For the first time, employers might hold themselves to endpoints that we're more familiar with thinking about in healthcare settings. That's a fascinating way to look at it. It's clear that employers are facing challenges that are sort of here to stay. All of you are building durable systems, platforms for data ingestion, for privacy protection, for symptom triage, services layers that really have the ability to support employers through many months and potentially years of managing both COVID and also more broadly, potentially infection control and risk reduction in the workplace, which I think is just fascinating. I'm curious if you guys all want to just end on a couple last thoughts with respect to how you see this playing forward months from now, years from now, potentially. What part of this tech stack do employers hold on to? I see a corollary here with the changes that we saw culturally after 9-11, where when you go to an airport, the experience completely changed forever. And we predict a similar phenomenon to happen here with consumer health information, including employees' health information, where employers forever are going to have to manage and track health-related data of employees. This is not going to be the last pandemic. When there's a vaccine, employers are going to need to make sure that all employees have that vaccine. So this isn't going to end. This is definitely a process and implementation that employers are looking to put in place forever and not just for a few months. We're going to see the expansion of employer wellness programs from non-communicable diseases to communicable diseases. And I think closer collaboration between large health systems and employers directly with technology partners rather than through intermediaries, which is how it's been played out historically. When COVID hit, this is a healthcare crisis. And so managing healthcare now is a mission-critical challenge for employers in terms of their own business continuity. I mean, think about all your chronic employees who haven't been able to get care. Think about people who have to put off elective procedures. There's going to be a next wave of healthcare spend. uh, And you're going to need, as an employer, these types of systems, these types of support to navigate your employees through this process. So it's pretty fascinating to see how this is coming full circle. But the bottom line is healthcare management is going to become critical for employers to manage really not just over the coming weeks and months, but really over the coming quarters and years to come. Thanks so much for joining us on BioEats World. If you'd like to hear more about all the ways biology is technology, please go subscribe to the A16Z Bio newsletter at a16z.com newsletter. And of course, subscribe to BioEats World anywhere you listen to podcasts. 